we finished up First Thessalonians, and so I was going to go on, and then I started doing a little bit of reading, and I realized that Second Thessalonians is three chapters. It was written six months after First Thessalonians to clear up some stuff that was confusing from First Thessalonians. And I thought, the odds that I will ever get back to this little book just out of sequence is probably not going to happen. So we're going to jump into 2 Thessalonians, which is a very short book. We're actually going to cover the whole chapter this morning. Um, and then, Lord willing, we are going to be taking a study of the 12 disciples of Christ and seeing what we can learn from them. Um, every year, if you don't, haven't figured it out, I try to do something from the Old Testament, something from the New Testament, and something from the life of Christ. So uh, that's kind of where we, were, where we are with, with, with what we're doing. So that is where we're headed. We're going to spend a little bit of time in 2 Thessalonians first. Um, 2 Thessalonians is an interesting book. Um, Paul is going to try to encourage them because they're continuing to face persecution. And they got a lot of questions. Uh, so he's going to clear up some things about the end times in this book. He's going to talk about um, how, how God makes this all right at the end. Uh, there are some interesting themes in the book. He's going to talk about the idea of being committed to people. He's going to talk about the idea of uh, faithfulness in spite of difficulty. He's going to talk about um, struggle and pain and hardship, kind of what we're dealing with in Sunday school right now, and, and, and how we approach the difficulties that we have in life. So with that in mind, we're going to look at uh, chapter 1 of 2 Thessalonians, and here's the first couple of verses. Here's what he says. To the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father, uh, that little phrase is interesting, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, he doesn't have that little phrase, our Father, in there. It just says God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he adds that idea. Then he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other. Um, Paul here lays out a, a couple of things. He talks about this idea that their faith was growing. And it's interesting, see that little word in there where he says uh, exceedingly? It's like super fast growth. So it, it's kind of like... Uh, our, our analogy would probably be like you plant your corn. When do you plant corn? April. April. And you're ready to harvest in June. Okay? I mean, it's, it's one of those things where Paul's saying, you didn't just grow, you like grew like crazy growth in, in, in what was happening. Again, they're going through a hard time. These are people who are being persecuted. These are people who are... <clears throat> who, because they call themselves Christians, are losing friends and business and sometimes being kicked out of their home and sometimes being put in prison and sometimes even dying. And Paul said, in spite of everything you're going through, you guys are growing in a, in a crazy manner as far as your love and, and your commitment to one another. And it's just uh, your faith and your love, it's just, it's just taken off. Some say, some believe that what happened was when Timothy went up to talk to the Thessalonians, in between 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, that what happened was some of the people said, hey, Paul, we thought you were too generous with these people. We thought you were too kind to them. They're not doing as well as you think. And in 2 Thessalonians, Paul, right out the bat, goes, oh, no, 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 you're doing really, really well, and you need to know that. But they were also struggling. And so he goes on, listen to what he says. Um, in the next passage, uh, verse uh, 4. 
so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. Paul said, you need to know, we're talking to everybody about you. Every time we write to another church, every time we travel to another church, we're telling them what's, what's happening up there with you guys and how you guys are enduring what you're going through and what you're going through and how you're hanging in there and how you're not quitting and notice what he said, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. So Paul lays out a couple of things here that are going to be important for us. Okay, And one of the things that he talks about is, he says, look, we understand that you are suffering and that you're having persecution, you're having tribulation. Persecution was something that was coming from other people. Tribulations was just the circumstances that they found themselves in. And Paul says, look, we know you're enduring it. And it's interesting in the Greek, this is a present tense, so here's what it means. It's a daily thing. It's not like, okay, they, they came in and, 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 and persecuted a whole bunch of you off and it stopped. He said, no, no, daily you guys are dealing with it. Daily you're dealing with struggles. Daily stuff's coming into your life that's making it harder and harder and harder to be a Christian. Paul said, we know that. He said, we are very, very well, well aware of it. And then, but Paul reminds him of two things. Notice what he said. He said that you're enduring it which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. In other words, here's what he's saying. The reason you're being persecuted is because you're a Christian. And the fact that you're being persecuted should be proof to you that you're a Christian. He said, you've got to understand, the reason they're poking at you is because they don't like what you stand for. Okay, now look. I don't get into political thing a lot, but let me just touch base on it real quick and then jump out, okay? I am, it boggles my mind that Christians are surprised that people don't like what we stand for. Duh. It's like, oh no, I can't believe that they don't like this. They don't like that because you're standing for what's right, and what's right is not what they want to do. Teenagers, hear me. Realize that when you stand up for something, that means that the other people feel bad and they're not going to like it. So what are they going to do? They're going to make fun of you. <clears throat> they're going to laugh at you. They're going to persecute you. They're going to try to make themselves feel better than you. Why? They don't like what you represent. And this is what Paul's saying. He's saying, look, guy, the reason you're being persecuted, because your lifestyle is a threat to them. And we're in a culture, by the way, if you haven't figured it out yet, which wants to accept everything. And common sense says, everybody can't be right. Somebody's wrong. Common sense says, if you are pro this and you are anti this, both can't be right. Believe We live in a crazy upside down world that thinks, oh, no, 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 we just accept everything. No, you do not. You, do, you don't walk into a store and accept everything. Can you imagine standing at a cereal aisle and going, I'm just going to take one of everything. I'm going to brace them all. No, what do you do? You make a choice. You make a choice. You make a choice every time you go to a gas station. You have, you, when you pull into one gas station, you have eliminated all the other gas stations in the city. You've made a choice of one over the other. We make choices all the time. And we're, when we make a choice for something, that means you're making a choice against other things. That's common sense. And what happened is when these people said, we're making a choice to serve God, 
That made people who were not serving God very uncomfortable. And Paul said, you know what? Get used to it. He said, we understand that. He said, it ought to encourage you to know that you're doing the right thing because people don't like it. And then he goes on to say there, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. He's not talking about earning salvation. Here's what he's talking about. Who suffered the most out of any person that's lived on this planet? Who paid the greatest price and suffered the most? Jesus. Who do we say we follow? Jesus. So if Jesus suffered and we are suffering because of him, it makes us worthy. It puts us in the same category as him. That's why Paul said, that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. You see, if you're going to call yourself a believer, part of that means you're going to pay a price for that. Part of that means you're going to suffer. You're going to go through tribulations. You're going to go through hardship. You're going to go through persecutions. You're going to have hardship. And Paul said, look, we want you guys to know you're in good company. It's okay. You're in good company. And then, listen to what he does next. Paul goes into the, the next thing. And here's what he says. And you've got to hang with me on this, because some of you aren't going to like this, but you just deal with it. Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day. To be glorified in the saints, to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Here's what Paul looks at him and says. He says, look, you need to understand that There's coming a day God's going to make it all right. There's going to come a day where Christ taught this. He said, with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And by the way, time out. The Bible doesn't say don't judge. Judge not lest you be judged. Read the rest of the verse. For with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. God says, you know what? He didn't say don't judge. He said, no, you need to make judgments. You make judgments every day. But just understand, the way you judge other people is the way God's going to deal with you. Okay, that's what he says. So it's important. And here's what, here's what is going to happen at the end. Those people, there's two groups of people here. There's those who are persecuted and there's those who are doing the persecution. And here's what God says. There's coming a day when I'm going to make it all right. And that day is not going to be a pretty day. And what's interesting about the book of 2 Thessalonians is this. 38% of this book talks about destruction and judgment. Now that's a lot. Because you see, these people are being persecuted, and they were being persecuted un- unfairly. And basically what Paul says to them is he said, look, just hang on to the end, because there's coming a day when wrong is going to be punished and right is going to be uh, honored. He wants to encourage these people with, that the day is coming, that it's all. Now, by the way, this, this vengeance thing, this isn't a, a retaliation thing. This is just simply a reap what you sow thing. And he uses some, in fact, some Bible scholars actually say this is probably one of the most graphic 
pictures of what happens to people who reject Christ. Because he talks about it in here. Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. In other words, he says, look, God's going to treat them the way they treated you. God's going to treat them the way they treated him. They reject him, and you go, oh, I, I, you know, I don't like that idea of God. Look, you know, I, put this in perspective. Well, I like a God who's a God of love. Yeah, I do too. And the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Okay, do you understand that the reason he had to give his son was because of his love, but also because of his judgment? You see, they're tied together. In other words, Jesus went to the cross to satisfy a holy, righteous God that said sin cannot go unpunished. Somebody has to pay the price. And you sit there and go, well, I just can't believe a God would just like reject me. No, 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 you don't understand it. A God who said, I will go to the cross and die in their place to pay for their sin, and all they have to do is believe in me. He's not going to let you stand before him in heaven and go, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm just going to give you a freebie here. I'm going to give you a free pass. No, if you decide to reject God, the Bible's very, very clear, then God will reject you. You can't believe in a heaven, a place of eternal life, without acknowledging the fact that there's also a hell, a place of eternal death. You know, whatever you want to call it. You know, some cultures call it a yin and a yang. Uh, you know, and, 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 and science, you know, we, you know we, it's the opposites. You know, for every action, there's an opposite and equal reaction. You've got to have both. And that's what God says here. He says, no, you need to understand there's coming a day I'm going to make it all right. There's coming a day that I'm going to come, not as the Prince of Peace, but as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he goes on further. Listen to what he says. Um, listen to how he describes it. Um, going on. Oh, wait a minute. Did I miss a whole bunch in there? Oh, go back to that. Yeah, okay, yeah, when he comes in that day to be glorified with the saints, to be admired on all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. He says, look, there's coming a day that he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we as believers, his saints, are going to stand back in amazement and how he makes it all right. And we're coming with him, um, which is encouragement to these people. And then he goes into the next phrase, the next passage about it, and he says this. <clears throat> um, he ties up uh, near the end of it. Uh, going on, guys. Verse 11, yeah. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, look, here's our prayer for you. Our prayer is that you walk worthy. Our prayer is that when you go through those tough times, you stick close to God. Our prayer is that you don't, is that you will fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. And the idea is, he says, look, guys, as you're going through that tough time, as you're dealing with all that struggle, as you're dealing with that, hang in there. There's coming a day that God's going to make it all right. And until that day, God's going to use what you're going through to honor him. And he said, that is good flesh, that, that Christ may be glorified in 
you and you in him. He said, there's a much bigger thing happening here. And when you and I go through hard times, when we go through difficulties, when we go through struggles and, and persecutions and tribulations and, and, and pain and all of those things, he says, you need to understand, there's a bigger thing at work. And he writes to these people to encourage them. And he writes to these people to say, look, the grace of God in our Lord Jesus Christ is going to work out in your behalf as long as you hang in there. So a couple of takeaways for us. Okay, Here's the first one. A tested faith is a real faith. A test, see, we have a group of people out there who are promising Christians rainbows, roses, and unicorns. You know what? All of us will follow a God of rainbows, roses, and unicorns. But that's not a real faith. See, a real faith gets tested. And you can go all the way through their Bible, and you can read story after story after story of believers whose faith was tested. And you can watch it happen and play out over and over and over again. Um, uh, one guy said it. Uh, let me see if I can find that. Oh, i got to find this. Hang on. Oh, I'll miss it. Okay, I'll put it in the... I, I lost it. All right. Um, here's the idea. The idea is it's got to be tested, and God's going to test it. And really, it's really going to be forged. German poet said it this way, that it's going to be forged in solitude. Now, if you think about it for a minute, most of the stuff that we go through, um, it's when times are the darkest and times are the hardest that we tend to grow the most in our faith, that our faith, we strip away all the stuff that isn't important. Um, I, I'm a big fan. My wife calls it Redneck TV. Um, I'm a big fan of Redneck TV. One of, the, one of the shows that I started watching about a year or so ago is a show on the History Channel called Forged in Fire. <clears throat> and here's what they do. It's about guys who make knives, blacksmiths who make knives the old school way. And they bring four people in, and they give them a challenge. Like the, last week was um, they, they have a car in there, and they say, okay, you've got to take a part off of a car and make a knife. And you've got three hours. So they have three hours to make the knife, and then they, they, one, guy gets, one person gets eliminated, and then they're down to three, and then they have to make a handle, and then it has to go through a whole series of tests, and then they're down to two, and they go back to their blacksmith shops at their house, and they make something, and then they come down and declare a winner, and he gets $10,000. Um, I love the show. Anyway, um, here's the thing. When you make a knife, so like last week, they made it out of car parts, and a lot of them took the springs, the, um, or the, uh, the leaf springs, and, and, and forged it all down. The last part of making a knife, so they try to get it all shaped out, cut out how they want it, and all that kind of thing. The last part of making a knife is what they call quenching it. And what they do is they get it red hot. If they get it too hot, it becomes a problem. So there's a fine line, and they take it, and they dip it into a hot oil. And what that does is harden the steel. Now, here's the thing. When it's quenched right, the steel gets hard, and it will hold an edge. Um, and it will keep the edge. If they do it wrong, it's soft and malleable, so it, it won't hold the edge like it's supposed to. Here's the key. The only way you can know is with what they call a file test. Okay? So in other words, they have four knives looking so like, like uh, this past week or one of the shows I was watching. They got four knives, and they all were phenomenal knives, and they had to say, well, we don't know who should win this round. And one of the guys said, let's, let's test them. 
And what they do is they take a file, a, a regular uh, metal file, and they run it across the edge. If it's hardened, that, that, that file just glides right across it. And they know that if, that if you were to chop something with that knife or whatever else, it would hold that edge and it would stay sharp. If it's not hardened, when they run the file across it, it skips, it catches because it's soft. And it starts to cut into the metal and then it, and it jagged that way. And they know that that one's not tested. They tested these four knives and one of them was not hardened. And it was probably one of the better designs out of the four. And they were shocked because they went, oh, this is such a nice knife, but yet, boom. Here's the thing. They all looked good until you put it to the test. The test revealed whether or not it was tempered and hardened like it should be. Your faith, my faith, can look good when everything's going great. But when it's put to the test, that's when we reveal whether or not our faith is where it should be. It's important for us to understand that. Because what that means is that what God's going to have to do in order to get us where God wants us and where God can use us is God's going to have to allow things in our life that are difficult, that are hard. He's going to have to allow those things in our life where our faith is tested. You can say you love God, but can you say that you love God when you get a bad report from a doctor? You can say God answers prayer, but can you say God answers prayer when you pray for to be healed from cancer and you're not healed from cancer? See, I, I'm all thrilled when, you know, when, when we say, you know, God, God healed them. I, I'm all great. But does that mean God loved you less if he didn't heal you from that? See, and, and when our faith gets tested, when it, when it really comes down, and, and, and here's the thing. Think about this for a minute. The world's watching. They want to know, is your faith real? So here's my question. Do they want to follow somebody? Well, they do want to follow somebody. They do want to follow somebody whose life is all rainbows, roses, and unicorns. It's like, yeah, I want to get me some of that. But here's the thing. Life is not rainbows, roses, and unicorns. You know that. Life is hard. And life comes with struggles. And we all have dealt with the struggle part of it. That's when the world watches. That's when the world says, is that Christianity real? And let me tell you something. If you don't believe they're watching, you're kidding yourself. I can't tell you the number of times that somebody in this church has gone through something. And the comments that I hear are, I can't believe they're still going to that place. Because it's not about that. It's about their faith. And it gives me an opportunity to say, you know, you've got to understand, it's something much bigger than church. It's about Christ. It's about a relationship. I can't tell you the number of people that have come up to me and said something like, I don't know what's going on over there. But I know that person, and that person's different from what they used to be. And I'm going, yes. Christ is glorified. God's at work. And they recognize it. I'm not going to embarrass you, but, you know, I can't believe the number of people go, what? They go there? Really? Um, you know, because they're amazed. They're amazed that 
you would be a part of anything like this. And then they're usually followed by, you know, I don't know what it is, but they're different from what they used to be. So whatever you're doing out there must be working. And it gives me a great opportunity to share Christ and say, yeah, you know what? It's the relationship with Christ. And they're learning what God says and they're trying to do it. And that's why they're changing. It's not about the church. It's about what God's doing in their life. And Paul says, look, understand the things that you're going through. That's what it's there for. That's one of the things that can happen through it. Second idea is this. God is righteous and just. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about it. None of us like talking about hell. None of us like talking about eternal damnation. None of us like those terms. But here's the thing you need to understand. By the way, in the life of Jesus, he spoke more of hell than he did of heaven. In the book of 2 Thessalonians, 38% of the book talks about it as a reality of the end place for people who reject God. And I'm going to make it as simple as I can. You've got two choices. You stand before God, having put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin and make you righteous before him. Or you stand before God as you are and say, let me into heaven. And I want to tell you right now, if you reject Jesus Christ and he lets you into heaven, he's a liar and everything in that book is a lie because it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. And you go, well, Jesus was a good man. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus was a liar if he lets somebody in other than through him because he said, I'm the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one gets to God but through me. And I have followed this book way too long to say, I'm going to pick and choose what I want out of it. It's an all-or-nothing proposition. And you've got to take the stuff you like as well as the stuff you don't like. I would not bet my life, my eternal life, on the fact that I could stand before God and be good enough to go to heaven. And if you think you are, more power to you. I couldn't do it. Because I understand that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. And God makes it very clear to these people, you're following Christ. And what that means is, because you're following Christ, there will come a day that God is glorified in all of his glory and all of his power, and he's going to make everything right, and you're going to be standing with him, behind him, as part of that, watching him work, and you're going to be amazed at the way this place should be. And he said, you've got to understand that. He talks to these Thessalonians and says, hang on, because that day's coming. That day's coming. And the last thing is this. What you're going through has a purpose. You may not see it, but God... Uh, Rick Warren said it this way, God never wastes a hurt. God never wastes a hurt. You never go through something that God can't use if you'll give him the chance. You're struggling with divorce. You're struggling with finances. You're struggling with um, your job. You know, you're struggling with kids. You know, some of you are struggling with grandkids. Some of you are struggling with kids who are getting divorced. Some of you are de- you're dealing with all of that stuff. Some of you are dealing with loss. Some of you are dealing with health issues. Look, God can take every single one of those things 
and use them for his honor and his glory. And he wants to. There's a bigger purpose behind it. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. If you'll think about it for a minute. Jesus said of his nephew, John the Baptist, there's not a greater person that's ever been on this earth than John the Baptist. John the Baptist came to a crisis of faith. While he was in prison, one of the things that John asked, he sent word to Jesus, and here's what he said. Now, again, John the Baptist, who had baptized Jesus, who had said, this is the guy, follow him, da-da-da-da-da, listen to God call down from heaven saying, this is my son. John the Baptist, in prison during a dark moment of his life, said, sent word to Jesus and said, are you the guy or should we start looking for somebody else? And Jesus sends word back to John, and he says, John, first of all, he looks at his disciples, you need to know there ain't a, there, there's a greater person that's ever walked on the face of the earth than John the Baptist. Among those born of women, this is the guy. I love him, but I'm going to leave him in prison. But you send word back to him and tell him this. Not follow me. He said, you just tell him everything that I'm doing. You just tell him how I'm healing the sick and the lame are healed and the blind see and the crippled walk and the lepers are cured. He said, you just tell him what I'm doing. And John continues to follow Jesus Christ all the way up until his death. Just because God is silent right now doesn't mean he doesn't care. Never interpret God's silence as the fact that God doesn't love you. You just can't see, in John's situation, past the prison, past your circumstances, past your difficulty. I like what one person said. They said it this way. I'll try to read it, if I got it the right place in my notes. Um, See, this is what happens. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know where it went. Oh, here it is. There you go. Finally found it. Some things can't be fixed. They can only be carried. Let me say it again. Some things can't be fixed. They can only be carried. For some of you this morning, you would love to have your circumstances fixed. They can't be fixed. You need to recognize that. You can't go back and turn back the clock. But you can carry them. And you, with the help of other believers, who can help you carry some of them. And when you do that, Christ is glorified. And people see him in you. The problem with the Thessalonians couldn't be fixed. They were going to be persecuted. And some of them were going to die for their faith. But they could encourage one another, help one another, hang in there to their faith, and know that one day, one day, it was all going to be made right. And Paul writes them to encourage them along those lines. And I want to encourage you this morning as well. What you're struggling through right now may not be able to be fixed. But the world is watching how you carry what you're going through. And as they watch, they can see Christ in you. And you can see Christ working in your life as well. 
And there's coming a day when it will all be made right. And if you're a believer this morning, you're on the winning side. You just got to be patient until that day. I close with this. God wants to use you, but you're going to have to allow him. You have to trust him. You have to allow him to impact every area of your life. He's faithful. He's never going to quit trying to work his plan in your life. As a church family, we have to work together to accomplish his his purpose in our lives as well. And let's follow him faithfully. Lord, help us. Guide and direct us. Lord, it is so easy sometimes to lose sight of uh, what's happening. It's so easy, Lord, to get so wrapped up in our circumstances and our situations and our struggles that we forget, Lord, um, that there's something bigger happening. And so, Lord, I, I cannot imagine the load that there are people in here that are carrying. And, Lord, the reality of it is their situation is not going to be fixed or changed. But instead, Lord, they're going to need the grace and the strength and the help to carry them through it in such a way that you could be honored and glorified. So, Lord, help them. For those of us who are close to them, for those of us who know the situation, help us to come alongside, Lord, and carry what we can. And, Lord, would you guide them and use whatever struggles they're going through, Lord, for a bigger purpose of your honor and your glory. And, Lord, we all look forward to the day that it is all made right. These things we ask in your name. Amen.